I'll help you, but only if you're really serious about it. Because in, the, in life, there's two types of people. There's talkers and there's doers. I've got no time for the talkers. Welcome back to the university. Thank you so much for tuning in once again, as this means that you are someone who is never not learning. You're someone with a growth mindset, someone actively shifting from being a talker to becoming a doer. We started the university to give lifelong learners like yourself a place where you can listen to other people's experiences, learn more about their ideas, and in the process, hopefully pick up a couple of very specific takeaways that you can use and implement in your own personal development journey. Today's guest lecture is a value-based leadership coach and the founder of the BSK Project. The purpose of the BSK Project is to raise children with the use of three simple values, being brave, being smart, and being kind. Our guest is Patrick John Brady, aka PJ Brady. He's an awesome guy and I've had the pleasure of being coached by him myself. Thanks to him, I've managed to define what my values are, which has really helped me understand myself a lot better. Learning about your values gives you such a valuable insight into why you are the way that you are. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. I hope that you take notes and I look forward to hearing from you via our Instagram page at NeverNotLearning. The question we always like to start with is, is to try to find out who the person is behind the, the professional occupation. So um, how would you, to the, to the best of your ability, describe who you are without mentioning what you do as a profession? Well, I mean, as we're taping this, we're going through the corona crisis right now. And I would say right now what I am is probably legally insane with being <laughs> in my house with my three daughters, <laughs> being 10, 7, and 3 years old. But... Uh, I guess the, the human behind all of this is, uh, if you can't tell from my accent, I am American, but mm -hmm. uh, moved to Belgium in, well, I've moved twice to Belgium, the first time in 2001, just before September 11th, to do my degree here, mm -hmm. and met my wife, so American by birth, Belgian by marriage, and global by choice, because essentially my background has been traveling the world and, and learning new things, and I actually was living in the U.S. until I was 21 years old. And at that time, I had bounced around to a couple different uh, colleges, did a couple different majors. I started in sport management, failed, decided to go uh, to study to become a firefighter, didn't enjoy it. And then I was living with my father at the time. And he's like, yo, son, <laughs> make a choice, pick a path. You're kind of all over the place. He knew that I loved to travel. And so my choices actually came down to either joining the Navy <laughs> or... <laughs> okay. Because I love musicals so much, uh, there's a group called Up With People. And Up With People is a nonprofit that takes college-age students, sends them around the world, and you live in host families, you do community service, and you perform musicals. What I found through my travels with Up With People, doing community service, and even what I do in my job now is that what I sincerely love to do is to help other people. And if I'm not doing that, I don't feel like I'm fulfilling my purpose in life. And my mom, that's, she's been my, my biggest influencer when it comes to that, when it comes to a lot of things, but specifically helping people. Okay. Uh, when I was young, she, she was part of a group called uh, Choir of Hands or Chorus of Hands. And what they would do is they would go around to and do shows, do musical performances for deaf people. Uh, they'd mm -hmm. go into schools, they'd go do mall shows at community centers. And 
I, when my parents got divorced when I was seven years old, she was doing this and I would, so I would go with her to the rehearsals and I would see her friends and how they would interact. And mm-hmm. then I would see, I'd get to be part of the audience when she was performing and just seeing her out there doing some incredible influence on my life. And then from there, I mean, she was a Girl Scout leader. She, she worked for various nonprofits, did that right up until she retired last year. So from that, my, my value of helping people is just it started at a really young age and continues yeah. to move forward. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you mention helping people because if you, if you know what you do today, it makes a lot of sense. One of the things I'm passionate about myself is going from your true passion to your profession. That's something that I'm, I'm super interested in. It's also one of the reasons we started this project. So how did you, from knowing that you really wanted to help people to picking a career path, how, how did that happen? Painfully, Aristida, painfully. <laughs> <laughs> I, and here's the thing is, I, isn't it? Isn't that always the way? Um, like, I'll, I mean, I was no different than a lot of people. I, I, I had done several jobs that I just didn't like. And actually, when I was before my father and I sat down and had that conversation about what I wanted to do with my life, mm-hmm. he had me come and work at his factory. And he was working for uh, Western Digital at the time, which is a, a computer hardware company. And I went into the factory for a summer and I worked one of the factory jobs. And essentially I was on an assembly line and I was working with microchips and I was getting the static off of them and dusting them and putting them into boxes. And I hated every single second of it. The people didn't talk to each other. There was no connection. It was a brainless job. And at the end of the summer, he said, do you know why I gave you that job? You know why I picked it for you? And I said, no, he's like, if you don't choose a path, if you don't go for something bigger, that's what you're going to be doing. You need to go, you need to figure out what your path is. You need to find the things that you love to do and pursue that. And that was a very important lesson for me. So from that, that's when I decided to travel and up with people. And when I was in up with people, there's a couple different moments in my life where I can really point to that one minute where my life changed and I, I picked the direction. And it was in 1998, I was traveling around Germany and it was a cultural group and so every country we would go to they would bring in speakers or a panel discussion or something to talk about yeah. that country to, to this group of people and so I was 21 years old we were in Germany and we had a panel who was coming up to talk to us about the reunification of Germany and for me being an American at 21 first time out of the country this was like such an incredible experience I was so excited to hear about it because for us when we were growing when I was growing up in in the 80s the U.S. was the U.S. were the good guys, and the Soviet Union was they were the bad guys. And you saw this everything that was on the news, everything that was in the media, all the things, all the movies at the time were like Rambo and Rocky IV, and everything was East versus West. And on the news, you would see people, you know, trying to escape Berlin. And so when the wall came down and Germany was unified, I remember seeing it on television. I think uh, I guess it might have been. 12 years old at the time. And this was a huge moment in my life. And so to hear this panel of speakers coming up talking about the reunification of Germany and how cool that was, I couldn't wait. And so what happened was there was three people from East Germany, three people from West Germany, and almost immediately they started going at each other. And the the Easterners was like, oh, well, we didn't want reunification. 
question and the West is like, of course, everyone is trying to flee. And they said, no, we are fine. Your media just lied to you. And they said, oh, well, you're just wasting our tax dollars. You guys are lazy. And they said, no, you're trying to force capitalism upon us. And at, at that moment in my life, I was sitting in the corner and I started shaking. I started sweating. Like I, could, I started to get a real culture shock, not the culture shock of, ooh, I ate a funny food in a new country, yeah. like an actual, your body starts to react to it. And I was amazed because I'd never heard this perspective before. I'd never been exposed to what that was. And I found it to be fascinating. And so it was that moment when I decided a couple of things. First of all, is I wanted to study international affairs because I knew nothing about the world. And this just proved it. I had one biased education system. And so I said, I want to study international affairs and I have to do it outside of America because I can't just keep digesting the same information I've always been digesting. That's just yeah. going to be the one viewpoint. So I had a friend who, uh, her brother studied international affairs in Belgium, did it at an English speaking university. And that's what I did. And so when I made that choice, right, I started doing things I didn't have passions for. And then I started putting myself into the environments, not necessarily choosing a career path, just putting myself into the environments that I loved and started observing. So from that, I, when I went to do the musicals, I loved it. I learned more about myself, had those conversations about learning. I learned more about myself. And so when that pointed me towards Belgium and I did my university degree here, I don't work in international affairs and politics. All I did was found something that I was passionate about and started to go down that path, which then led me to, to the environment that I was in and led me to another company called the Entrepreneurs Organization, where I started a nonprofit that helps entrepreneurs learn and grow. And from there, they did a lot of leadership. I found that I was good at that. They did a lot of facilitation. I found I was good at that mm -hmm. and I loved it. And so I, not joking, yes, it, it is a painful route for everybody. And sometimes you don't, it's not like you find your passion and just say, this is going to be my career. Just start down that one road and then you'll start to figure it out. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really important message because lots of, lots of young people, they struggle with the fact that they, they might not have a clear idea about where they, they want to go with their life or where they want to take their career. And I think what you said about focusing on, on uh, what your, your passion is and just building on that, I think that's a really really powerful message. Yeah, and everyone, they feel like it's so definitive. You know, I've talked to a lot of younger people who are trying to figure out their careers and they say, oh, well, I don't want to do this job because I'm not passionate about it. Okay, I get it. Find something within that job that you're passionate about. I mean, for instance, right now, Aristide, I, like uh, we've worked together. I know that you work for Strand, right? And mm -hmm. you've done um, recruitment. Mm -hmm. If you're passion is recruitment, then congratulations, that's fantastic. And if it's not, and what you really want to do is to feed this lifelong learning process for people. Mm -hmm. So right now, you've gotten an opportunity to do this podcast. You've talked about it with other strandies. You're working on it with them. Like, that's, that's cool. You start to figure out little bits and bobs of that, and then it'll eventually take you toward that passion. People think it's such a one-way, black-and-white choice when it's not. You developed that passion of yours, which was to help people, and the way, ultimately, you ended up expressing that is through value-based leadership. Now, for those people listening who might know the definition of a value but not really understand what value-based leadership is, how would you define that? So the easiest analogy that I use is from Alice in Wonderland. And so I'm going to assume everyone who's listening has either watched or read or seen some version of Alice in Wonderland knows the story. But 
it's because it's so simple and it works. So Alice, uh, she gets lost down this rabbit hole and she goes into this crazy world. And at some part of the part of the story, she's, she's lost in a forest. She's going down this path in a forest and she gets to a fork in the road and she doesn't know which direction to choose. And so just then the Cheshire cat appears, you know, that cat with the big smile. And she said, oh, I'm so happy you're here. Can you please tell me which path I should choose? And the cat says, sure, of course, just tell me where you want to go. And Alice says, but I don't know where I want to go. And then the cat says, well, then your choice doesn't matter. Either path will get you there. And for me, that's what values are. Values are you get to a path in the road. And if you know your values, then you're going to be able to make those decisions for the right reasons. Now, it's not just as simple just to know your values. Your values shape your behavior, but you also have to be able to define what that value is. So let's say, Aristide, your value is respect. And maybe I have respect as the same value. But what respect means to you can be totally different than what it means to me. And that was something that I learned from when I was working with the entrepreneurs organization, I went around the world and I actually had to, the company had rebranded and I had to help all of these different chapters, all these different smaller organizations to implement the values into their groups. But the problem was that they had five values and trust was one of them. And what trust means to a German versus what trust means to Japanese versus what it means to a South African versus what it means to someone in Southern California meant completely different things. And so what I learned is you have to be able to define those values because once you get to that, that fork in the road, if you don't have a definition, if you don't understand what that value means, then it doesn't help you in your decision-making at all. So if you're able to know those values, define those values, that's the analogy that I use. You can actually choose which directions in your life you should go. Why do you think it's important for people, and it could be, I suppose, in a business context, but it could be in a private context as well. Why do you think it's important for people to know their values? Well, because values, are, it's not just for your decision-making process. It's also to understand the world that you're living in and how things are explained to you. So if you look at it, the way that people succeed, you find your moments when you've been the most successful. I promise you it's because your values have taken you there. You can also look at the times when you've been the most uncomfortable, and I promise you, every time that you've been severely hurt, you've been angry, you've, uh, you know, have a big emotional response to something, it's because either your values were broken with a negative emotion, or they were fed, they were built up because of a positive emotion. So if my value is, my number one value is take care of others. That's what I know about myself. And so... I know my times in life when I've succeeded is because I've helped somebody else do something great. And because I understand my value, I understand what I can continue to do to make myself feel good. I also know the times when I've been t miserable is because either I didn't take care of someone else or I didn't take care of myself. So I know that if, if I've hurt someone and I haven't taken care of them, that's going to be one of my sore points. But what that helps to tell me also is that some of the hardest times that you have in your life is when your values actually work against each other. So people have hundreds of values within them. When I do coaching, I typically help people narrow it down to their top three values because when you're at that fork in the road, if you have more than three values, first of all, it's hard to remember. And second of all, you, ask your, you have to ask yourself these filter questions to make a choice. And if you have 100 filter questions, you're going to suffer from analysis paralysis.
right? You're never gonna actually make a choice. So if you identify those top three, you're able to define them, then you're gonna make your choice better. But if someone has, so if you've got your top three values and you understand those, you understand where you succeed and you understand where you fail, well, then you just get to make better decisions. You understand, all right, well, these two values are working against each other. That's why I feel miserable. Like my second value is work as to, to live with intention. I want to know my, my path and I want to try to work intentionally towards it. So if my path, if that intention and that taking care of someone, if those two things pull against each other, I know that I'm not going to be successful. I might have to, I, I might have to make the choice. I mean, we're going to have times in life where we don't get everything that we want, but I can explain why I feel terrible. And if you can explain it, then you can start to look at ways around it. You can start to look at how you solve it. If you don't know what your values are, and you keep failing over and over again at the same thing, it's because you haven't been able to properly identify the problem to take any sort of actions to fix it. You mentioned the, the values that could uh, contradict each other, which I, I, I thought was really interesting and something that we don't necessarily think about. But then how I, su I suppose then you have a sort of ranking system as to, to which value dominates the others. Yeah, so when I help people, the first thing we do is identify the values, then we define them. Um, and then we prioritize them. So prioritizing your values is important because once you get that fork in the road and you need to make a decision, then you have to have an almost like an operating system, your order of operation to make the right choice. So for me, the, my number one is to take care of others. So the first question that I need to ask myself in any decision is who does this affect and how does it affect them? I know that because I prioritize my value. My second value being intentional, the question is where do you want to go? How do you need to get there? You know, these aren't rocket science questions, right? They're pretty simple. But if you don't ask yourself these questions, that's when I have gotten in trouble. So now if I switch those values around and if my number one value was intention and the first thing that I asked myself is where do you want to go? How do you want to get there? Then I could very easily hurt other people because I'm not thinking of the people first. I'm thinking of the intention first. So for me, and that might be, that might be somebody else's order. That's perfectly fine. There's no judgment. I just know for myself that I need to ask myself, who does this affect before I figure out the path of where I'm going to go? We often see companies having values, right? That they, like you mentioned earlier, they, they broadcast on, on their websites. But I think there's, there's not many people who've actually taken the time to reflect on this and think about their own values. And being in my line of work, I think it's a super interesting insight. You know, if, if you're able to find out what people's values are and you can then see if it's related to your own values as a company, I think that's a really, really powerful tool. But the question is, how do you, how do you start? How do you find out what your values are? How do you put words uh, on them? Well, it, it takes a lot of thought and it takes a lot of reflection. And so what I'll go in and do is I come in and I ask people a bunch of questions. You know, I start to ask them about people that they admire. I ask them about who they surround themselves with. I ask them about where they've succeeded, where they failed. Typically, I can figure out what your values are just by asking your failures. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I ask for everything because what you need to do is draw a similarity. You need to see the patterns. You need to find the words that keep coming up over and over and over again in your life and then notice those patterns to figure out why you are the way that you are. And when I've gone and done conferences, I've done conferences where there's 100 people in the room and I give them the exercises to say, okay, let's ask all these questions. And then I pair them up with someone else and say, all right, use this other person as your sounding board and tell them all the stories that are on your paper, and then they're gonna help you identify what your values are. 
So we do that, that takes you know a good 45 minutes or so. And then everyone has their values that they think they are their values and they have them written down. And I say, okay, who has their values? They raise their hands. I said, now who has any negative words on their paper? No one ever raises their hand. No one ever puts rude as a value. No one ever puts stubborn as a value. That never comes up. And then I say, but this doesn't make sense. If we agree that our values help shape our behavior, if our values are part of our decision-making process, is it that everyone in this room always makes good decisions? Of course they don't, right? And I say, okay, let's do this. Who has honesty as a value? And honesty is a pretty popular one. People, a lot of people raise their hands, especially in low-context societies. They raise their hands if they have honest. And I said, all right, keep your hand up if you've ever been accused of being too direct or rude and all the hands stay up. And I say, of course this happens because in times of stress, right, when things are really difficult, we lean on our values. And what happens in times of stress is when you lean on your value too much, it can be taken to a negative. And so what happens is honesty becomes rude. Uh, intentional can become manipulative. Determination can be stubborn. Loyalty can be, you know, favoritism or having blinders on. So there's negative values that are in this. So when I tell people, all right, well, tell me about your failures. Usually when they tell me about their failures, I can say this is an extreme reaction when you're under stress. And the positive side of this is what your value is. If we're sitting down and having this conversation, I promise you I'd bring up my mom often. And from that, I would tell you, all right, well, this is what I admire about my mother. And these are the things that she's taught me. And I would have gone and told you all the same stories about how she was helping people and how she cares for people and how she has a very high emotional intelligence and how um, you know everything in her life where she's taking care of friends at difficult moments. And then it wouldn't be hard for you as an observer to sit back and say, ah, oh, you know what? It sounds like one of your values is to help other people. Because a lot of my stories, that's not just my mom, it would also come from up with people. It would just also come from the entrepreneurs organization. It would come from how I describe um, my best friend and his family, all of these, you would start to notice those patterns. Yeah. So sometimes all it takes is for you to sit down with a friend and say, you know, let me tell you stories about this part of my life. Let me tell you about the leaders that I admire. Let me tell you about um, what I love about my family. Let me tell you about my best friends. Let me tell you about, about my coworkers. Let me tell you about what I sincerely, what brings me happiness and what brings me joy and where I find successes. And then let me tell you about what makes me angry. Let me tell you about my biggest failures. Let me tell you about the things that just piss me off in life. Because I promise you, the things that really piss you off in life, it's because your values are being broken. I know that you have another project just called BSK. What is that exactly? Well, it's fun because I've been doing the values-based leadership stuff since 2005. At least that's when I was exposed to it. That's when I started learning about it. Um, and then started my own company in 2017 uh, to help people with values-based leadership. But the fun part is when, when my, I've got three little girls. So Alexandra is 10, Emmeline is seven, and Josephine is three. And when Alexandra was four years old and Emmeline was two years old, I just made this click in my head to say, well, if I'm doing all this values-based leadership, I should actually, what I should be doing is, is intentionally instilling values into my daughter's lives and so at the time this is a lot of like when a lot of when the me too movement had started and there's just so much bullshit in the world about how women were being treated 
I started thinking, well, when my daughters get older, what type of people do I want them to be? And the biggest thing that kept coming up to me was I want them to be confident. I want them to be able to have the confidence in their lives because a lot of women that I've been surrounded by don't. And something that broke my heart, still breaks my heart, is anytime a woman says that she doesn't feel beautiful. And that just kept coming back to me. Anytime a woman doesn't feel beautiful, I said, how heartbreaking. And so I said, all right, I've got a pretty unique opportunity here because in my world here in Belgium, I'm the only person who speaks English to my kids. And so I'm teaching them the English language, which is terrifying for them, actually, that they're learning this from me. But I said, I get to define words however I want to define them. And so what I started with, with Alexandra when she was four and Emily when she was two, was that the word beautiful meant to be three things. It was to be brave, to be smart, and to be kind. It had nothing to do with physical. Uh, pretty. Pretty is temporary. Pretty fades. That's not what beautiful yeah. is. Beautiful is how you are on the inside. And so with them, I said, all right, brave, smart, and kind. And I just chose that because of all the bullshit that was going on in the world at the time. And I said, if they feel brave, if they have the courage to get past things, right? If they're critically thinking, if they make smart choices, and if they're just nice to other people, that's, that's going to make them feel beautiful. And so from there, that's when I started doing the same thing with values in their lives as I did in my professional life. And I said, all right, the first thing we do is define them. First thing we do is define them. So at that time, uh, brave meant it's okay to be afraid. Look, it's simplified for kids. It's okay to be afraid. Smart was that you have to think about something and make good choices. You know, for a four-year-old, that's good. <laughs> that's good enough. And then kind was be nice, be nice to people. And so we defined it with them. And then the second thing that you do with values is you have to display them. So we had that Ikea chalk paint. We put it all over the house. We put brave, smart, and kind. We had t-shirts made. And so we have it all over the place so they would see it. And then the third thing that you have to do is discuss it all the time. Your values are behavior shapers. So you have to be able to discuss your values. So anytime that there was a character on TV that was brave, smart, and kind, we would talk about it. When they come home from school, a lot of parents, the first question they say is, how is your day? which usually the answer to that is fine. My day's fine. I don't give you a full answer, but yeah. I don't do that. When I, I, lucky enough that I get to pick up my daughters every day from school, and the first thing that I ask them is, tell me a story of someone who is brave, smart, or kind today. Were you kind to anyone? Did you make any smart choices? Did anything scare you today? And so we have those very relevant discussions with them. And the funniest thing started happening. I was going in as a professional and doing values-based leadership with people, and what I would do is I would go in and I would do a workshop and just to introduce values and how, they, how you define them and display them and discuss them, I would tell people the story of my daughters. And I would say, all right, here's our family, here are our family values, brave, smart, and kind. And I would tell them the same stories that I just told you. And then, and then the rest of the workshop was helping other people find their personal values and how to implement them into their lives. And so what happened was I've been doing this for a couple of years. And people who would come up to me like a year later and they say, Hey PJ, I loved that brave, smart and kind workshop that you did. I instituted in my house and it's working wonderfully. And I was like, that's great. Except that's not what the workshop was about. <laughs> that was just an example for you to show you how values worked. And they're like, no, I just stole yours. They were really good and they're really helpful. And I said, all right, maybe, maybe there's something more to this. So I started putting some content on, Online. I did a Facebook live video and 
it was about, you know, obviously all this kind of stuff, being very smart and kind, raising kids to be very smart and kind. And six months went by and I got, I got an email. And it was from an old friend from high school. She's a, she's a teacher in an elementary school in the U.S. And she said, hey, PJ, I instituted Brave, Smart, and Kind in my classroom, and it is working wonders. The kids love it. The parents love it. They're changing their behaviors. And I said, wow, what a coincidence. I do Brave, Smart, and Kind with my girls. And she's like, yeah, I know. I, I saw your video. <laughs> I love the content. We instituted it into the classroom. That's why we're doing it. And what happened was other teachers in her school started seeing her do it and the success that she had. They started copying it. The principal in the school loved it and they made it their theme of their school is to be brave, smart, and kind. And now it's starting to spread out into other schools in the US and I do videos for them. I write some content. I've, I've gone to the schools in the US and spoke to the children. I sent messages to the parents. And all of this is just kind of lining up with everything I've done in my professional life, being able to help others, the values-based leadership, and it's creating significant change in the lives of children in other countries. For me, what an incredible purpose, what an incredible project to have to put my efforts behind. So that's a BSK project. It's still, you know, growing. I'm writing a book about how to raise race, smart, and kind kids and using my real life stories, using stories from the schools that I've heard, doing research on it. And it's it's pretty cool. It's awesome. I remember the, the first time that I, that I found out about it, I, I thought it was amazing. The fact that it was super simple, you know, brave, smart and kind. And the fact that it came from a place of truth because you, you started doing it with your children before it became a movement, which I thought was, was, was really amazing. How have your daughters implemented it? Do they, do they use the, the language? Do they use the words? Yeah, and on different levels. And so here's the cool and difficult thing with... This is all values-based learning, not just brave, smart, and kind, but they're at different ages, and so you have to have different definitions for them. Because what I've learned is that from doing all the leadership training that I've been doing is that brave, smart, and kind essentially addresses three different questions. It's how do you treat people, how do you critically think, and how do you overcome? And so it's kind of coincidental that I started doing this in leadership and then moved it into my kids, and now it's coming back into my leadership training. But... Those three points, those are the fundamental values of every single value. I've, I've got a list. I've got a list of like 340 values that people don't choose from, but just that I've witnessed that people have had. And what I can do is I can go back and figure out that every single one of those values, every word that people use is either brave, smart, or kind. Some of them are a combination of things, but all it comes down to is how you treat people, how you critically think, how you overcome. And so when that works back into my girls' lives, they're going to have those different values. Brace, smart, and kind is just fundamentals that they'll then grow out of. So for mine, intention is the smart value. I think with intention. That's how I do my critical thought, right? For kindness, it's being able to take care of others. And everybody has that. If you're resilience, resilience is a form of bravery, right? So connection is a form of smartness. There's a lot of different ways you can paint it. So to go back to the question with my girls, the definitions are moving targets. So for the three-year-old, we're still using the basic definitions. For the 10-year-old, we've had to change them. And they do use the words, and she's getting to be older, so she starts to get annoyed with the word brave, smart, and kind. She's like, oh, <laughs> dad, why do I have to tell you this again? But what now all I'd have to do is, all right, now let's talk about courage. 
what her and I have started talking about more, we've started talking less about kindness and we've talked, started talking more about empathy because honestly, out of all my daughters, she's the person who is, she has such an ability to put herself in someone else's shoes and see where they're coming from. So her, like, I'm not, I'm not telling her her value is empathy. I'm just noticing it in her. And so all the time, our conversations go around, all right, well, what do you think that person must be feeling right now? Have you, have you ever felt that? What's something that you can do to kind of help relate to them or help them feel okay about something? So we haven't, I haven't told her that her value is empathy yet. And that's something that values come from so many different places, Aristide. Some of mine come from my parents, but they also come from my friends. They've come from my teachers. They've come from up with people. They've come from the entrepreneurs organization. They've been shaped over my entire life. And my parents were a fraction of that. Just like I'm going to be a fraction of my daughter's values. She just doesn't have the experience yet to say this is what it is. And it's almost like, you know, you start to develop them at a young age, but the older you get, the more concrete they get. But even now, like I could have a, a life altering experience that could reshift my values. They're not going to go completely backwards. You know what I mean? But, but it's nothing, not, none of this is written in stone. They just get harder as more concrete as they get older. And so with the girls, I help, I'm helping them understand those things better. And I'm helping them say, this is how you make a decision. This is why you succeeded. This is why you failed. This is why you're angry right now. This is why you're happy right now. And if they can have the understanding of those values, then when they get older, then they'll pick their own words. They'll, and even more so, like we said, they're going to pick their own definitions. And that matters even more. What I also like to look at is the journey that someone takes. You know, obviously in my line of work, it's something that I, you know, that I deal with every day. You mentioned, you know, 1998 when you were in Germany. You mentioned a few interesting moments. But when was the the, the moment? As you're you're an independent now, right? When was mm -hmm. the the moment, and what was that journey for you to go from an employee at EO to starting on your own? It's funny because there's. It's almost like they all, like I've got the moment and I'll tell you about that, but it was almost like there was a bunch of moments that led up into that one and prepared me for that moment. And I feel like I'm very lucky and I've been very lucky in my life. And my grandma gave me the definition. She said, look, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And so when I look at that, when I was with the entrepreneurs organization, a couple different things happened. One is I started working a lot with speakers. I started working a lot in the learning aspect of the job and I had one speaker his name was Rich Mulholland and he was from South Africa and he came up to do an event with me in Ireland and he was so impressed by the way that I was helping him prepare for the crowd and helping open up a network and helping you know take care of him as a speaker he said PJ you could do this you could do this without EO uh, and if you ever interested in doing that just let me know I'm happy I'm happy to help you And that was the first time like I kind of got that bug in my mind to say, oh, shit, I really could do this. Uh, and then on the leadership front, I was, I had a team. I had a team of um, nine people that, was, uh, that I was working with. And one of them, her name is Ambrine Riaz, and she's from, from Dubai. And her and I had worked a lot together. We were close friends. And She came up to me one day after I just really handled some crises and I handled them really well. And she just came up and looked at me and said, I feel like your leadership is wasted here. I think there's bigger things for you that are outside of EO. And then I went to something called the Leadership Academy. And the Leadership Academy, it's, um, 
there's about 15,000 members of the entrepreneurs organization and there's a leadership academy for 30 leaders every year. You have to apply, it's pretty competitive. And there was one year that I got in and so I went to this leadership academy and I met a man named Warren Rustand. Now Warren, he's, I think he just turned 70. He worked for one of the US presidents. He is an entrepreneur. He runs multi-billion dollar businesses and he was a basketball player when he was younger. Like he has such an incredible resume. And what it comes down to is he's just one of the nicest men you've ever met. And he was one of the teachers at the Leadership Academy. So I went there and I met him and I was talking to him and I said, you know, Warren, I've got this idea for a business, the learning business. And he listened very intently and that was it. And then we went our separate ways. That was wow, 2013, 2014. And then I met him again. And it was a 2016. I hadn't seen him since then. And he saw me in the lobby at this event. And he's like, hey, Patrick, why don't, why don't we go have breakfast together? I said, great. So we sat down, we had breakfast. And he looked at me, he's like, so how's that, how's that business idea going of yours? I had to swallow my pride a little bit. and say, ah, you know, I've, I've got a little girl now. Uh, you know, there's so many other things going on in my life. I haven't, I haven't been able to work on it. And I essentially, I gave him all the excuses of why I hadn't done it. And then... He had a keynote address that morning, and so he went up and he was giving his keynote address, and he was telling a completely separate story. He was telling a story about how there was somebody who came up, wanted him to do some personal coaching with him, and this guy wanted to be the fencing champion of America. And Warren said, he, he looked at this guy and he said, look, I'll help you, but only if you're really serious about it, because in, the, in life there's two types of people. There's talkers and there's doers. I've got no time for the talkers. And I felt like this burning sensation in my soul. <laughs> like he was, I don't think he was pointing me out. I don't think he was looking directly at me, but he should have been. And I just went back to that morning of that conversation and I realized I was a talker. I kept talking about all these things that I wanted to do, but I wasn't doing anything about them. I had a lot of excuses. And so I went home from that event. I gave my notice to EO and I started 42 Walls. When you told me that, I, I thought that was an amazing story, especially as, you know, when you think about your career and, uh, you know, when we go back to our passions and, and wanting to do something with them, I think lots of people are, are scared to take the step. And hearing something like that, it can really, really shake you up. PJ, the, the question that we, we like to uh, end every interview with is if you had the, the guarantee that you could give listeners one tip today and everyone would implement it tomorrow what would that tip be man there's whenever i, I look at learning i always talk to people about take-home value whenever i'm coaching someone in leadership or in public speaking i say what's the take-home value that you're getting what can somebody do tomorrow and implement in their lives that's going to make their life better and for me it's define your values display your values discuss your values yeah I, I can't say those things enough, and I'll repeat them till I'm blue in the face with everyone that I coach. Define, display, discuss, define, display, discuss. If you're not doing those things, then it's very hard to live intentionally. It's very hard to live by your values. But if you're able to sit down, try to come up with your values, and they don't have to be perfect right away. That's perfectly fine. If you get clear, if you start going in the right direction, I promise you it's going to bring you clarity. Sit down, find what your values are, Define them, display them, discuss them.
That's amazing, amazing advice. And I can tell because, like I said, I've, I've, I've done the exercise with you and it, it really helps. So I hope that a lot of people listening will, will start their journey towards finding their values, towards finding the words, the definitions, the negative sides of the values and, uh, and use that as compass to live their, their best life. BJ, thank you so much uh, for, uh, for being on the show. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I'll definitely see you very soon. I very much enjoyed it. Jules here. Welcome back to another episode where I'll be trying out different theories or hacks and put them into practice and hopefully keep growing into the best version of myself. Now, before I tell you a bit more about today's topic, I want to thank you all for the amazing reactions we got for our very first episode. We are extremely excited to hear that some of you are actually going to try the 5am club. That's incredible. Now, if you want to start as well, but you haven't found your body yet, you can get in touch with me via at nevernotlearning on Instagram, so we can make sure we support you in this journey as well. For today's episode, I got a bit more romantic, so buckle up. What I want to talk to you about today is love languages. I discovered this concept during a dinner with friends where they started talking about it, and apparently I was the only one who didn't know what it meant. They told me that a love language is the way in which you want to receive love. Basically, it's what other people need to do for you to feel that they love you. Well, that of course got me all curious again. I was like, what do you mean? Aren't there a million ways to show and receive love? And how do you know what your love language is? Do you even need a love language when you're single? That night, I realized that you can actually express love in different ways to your partner, friends, family, even colleagues, but that it doesn't necessarily mean that they receive it in the way that you meant it. So I decided that I wanted to better understand what my love language is and what my friends and families perceive as love so that I can actually show my love in a better way. The next day, I put my Curious Jewels glasses on and started with the quest to find my love language. So I discovered this amazing book by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. According to Gary, there are five love languages that will help you understand how you receive and also communicate love and affection. Now to quote Gary, the moment you understand each other's love language, you will be able to elevate your relationship and better understand each other's deep-rooted needs. In the end, the goal with the five love languages is that it will help us speak to our loved ones in words, thoughts and feelings that they understand and receive as love. So after reading the book, I got even more excited about discovering the different love languages. So let's dive deep into that. The five love languages are words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time and physical touch. Now, the first one is words of affirmation. You know how you sometimes receive an unexpected text or note from someone saying that they love you or they miss you. And that is just such a nice feeling because that one text can really make your day. These are some real nice words of affirmation right there. I just love how you can show your love by just being genuine and communicate words of affection. Sometimes that's all you need to fill someone else's love tank. The second love language is acts of service. Acts of service can actually mean a lot of things, but it's basically making thoughtful gestures that you know will please your partner. Let me give you an example. I am the worst in planning my birthday party as I always tend to invite people on the last possible minutes and probably not even know what we're going to do. So my friend knows this and what she did last time was basically organize my whole birthday party for me because she knows I will procrastinate anyway. Another example is that if we meet right after work, she would make me some food because she knows I didn't eat yet. 
Does this mean she's amazeballs? Yes. But it also means that she's super thoughtful and mindful of my needs, which I appreciate tremendously. I really feel like she did it to show me that she loves me, and that is exactly what acts of service is about. So the third love language is receiving gifts. Personally, I love receiving gifts. It doesn't have to be anything special or expensive. I just really love the gesture itself, especially those presents that are handmade or with pictures, because these gifts have way more meaning and shows way more thoughtfulness to me than a Rolex, for example, whatever. The fourth one is quality time. There is nothing better to me than spending time with the people I love, going to a nice restaurant or going for a walk, going to a party. However, when I talk about quality time, I actually talk about moments where you have undisturbed conversations and you're not interrupted by any phones or any form of social media. There is nothing worse than having a conversation with your friends who is looking at their phone for 90% of the time. So it is really important to perceive quality time as time for each other and not for your phone. Then the last love language is physical touch. Communication is important in relationships, but people often forget how effective and meaningful touch can be. Am I saying you should be touching your partner or friends 24-7? No. What I mean is that you show your love and affection by giving them hugs from time to time or holding their hands regularly. I am not really a hug person myself, but if I do get a nice and meaningful hug, that can seriously get my oxytoxins to a whole other level. Fun fact, did you know that a full body hug stimulates your nervous system while decreasing feelings of loneliness, combating fear, increasing self-esteem, diffusing tension, and showing appreciation? So hug away, my friends. All right, so now that we know the five love languages, let's go back to my quiz on finding my number one love language. Because um, looking at all five, I don't really feel like one really pops out for me. So I still have to find a way or another to find my love language. In the end, it is true that most of us probably enjoy all five of those love languages in one way or another, but there's always one that really makes a difference for you. That is why it is super important to define for yourself what your love language is. And that is also why when you're in a relationship, it's equally important to know the one of your partner. Now to find my love language, my friend advised me to take the quiz on Gary Chapman's website where you will be asked a certain amount of questions. The quiz starts with asking you questions in the form of dilemmas. So for example, a question could be, is it more meaningful to me when A, someone I love says something encouraging to me, or B, Someone I love helps me out, especially if I know that they're already busy. It is a bit of a cheesy quiz, but it helps you out to know what you need most. So after a full 10-minute session of dilemmas, I finally got my end results. Drum roll, please. I, Curious Jules, found out that my number one love language is act of service. I have to say that I'm not really surprised, to be honest, because I do really appreciate it when people use their valuable time to do something for me. Doing this test made me feel a bit weird in the beginning since I don't have a partner myself, but it shouldn't be the only reason to find out your love language in the end, because it's equally important to find it in friendships, between family or even colleagues. Also for me this was huge because I realized which love language is important to me and how it could possibly help me grow into a relationship where my future partner and I understand how we both want to be loved. So, looking back on this quest, I think finding out your love language could really help you as an individual focusing on what's most important to you, but it could also really help elevate your relationship to enable a better understanding between you and your loved ones. I guess if you ever feel like you give your partner so much and it still feels like it's not enough, it just might be that you speak a different love language. 
Obviously, I'm not a relationship expert, nor am I implying at all that this is the one and only solution to your relationships. This is just how I experienced it and how I now view love or experience or the expression of love in a complete different way. That was it, guys. Do let me know what you and your partner's love language is by going to our Instagram account at nevernotlearning and just share your experience with me. Ask me questions about this or let me know if there's something really cool out there that I should try next time. Curious Jules, out. Uh -huh.